Hi, guys. Um, so this is a follow-up to the uh, activity we did on Thursday, 822 in class, to where uh, it's kind of like the jigsaw thing where people got different terms and then they found the definitions and they put them on the board and stuff like that. And you had to go around just in case you don't feel comfortable with what you saw or you didn't take good pictures or did, you didn't write the notes down or whatever it is. I wanted to give this to you uh, so you can have that uh, just in case. So basically, I'm going to run through the uh, the terms, talk about them very briefly, and then uh, we'll uh, that'll be it. OK, so this will go a little bit longer than uh, some of the shorter ones I've done. So first up, we're talking about federalism. Federalism is the um, form of government we have where both the federal government, central government and the states have power over us. And that's what we concentrate on is those two levels, is the federal and the state. Um, so there are two types we concern ourselves with. The first one is dual federalism. And sometimes you might see it as layer cake federalism. So if you see it, don't freak out. It's just dual federalism, okay? Uh, and it's called layer cake federalism because the, the two governments, the state and national government, uh, they stay kind of in their own lanes, okay? They're not going to get out of their sphere. They're not going to, uh, um, you know, ease down and, and start doing stuff they're not supposed to. And, and that's why it's layer cake, because it's layered. You, a layer cake, you've got the icing, you've got the, the cake part, then the icing, so on and so forth. So um, that's what dual federalism is. It's where they both have their powers, and they're going to do their thing, and that's it. Okay? Uh, some examples from the federal government side would be military. Okay? Um, the states are not going to jump in and start spending on military. The federal government does that. They don't have to. And then for the state, uh, education is a good example. Uh, while the federal government does throw some money at it, for the most part, remember, it's left to the states to do the education thing. And so Georgia is not going to uh, have the federal government come in and start doing uh, a lot of stuff in education. Even if they start giving out mandates, it's still going to be up to the state to, to kind of do what they want to. Alrighty. Uh, the second type of federalism you got to know is cooperative federalism. And this is sometimes called marble cake federalism uh, because it's more of a blending. All right. Um, so the the two governments, the state and the federal government, are going to be working together. Uh, and sometimes you're not sure exactly what level it is that's that's helping you because they're they're all there. Um, Sorry, interruption. If the following students, um, teachers, I'm sorry, will come to the front office sorry. for a meeting. Let this that is Rona Williams, Rona Williams, um, Ms. Mickle, Pledger, and and Ms. Burroughs. If you'll come to the front office, Ms. Burroughs, Ms. Williams, Ms. Mickle, and Ms. Pledger for a meeting in the front office. Thank you. So I hope those teachers show up when they're supposed to. All right, sorry. So cooperative federalism is the marble cake. And once again, it's that blending. Uh, if you see a marble cake, it's got the, the cake and it's got it's got all kinds of different things in it. Uh, same thing's happening here, okay? Uh, the responsibilities are shared. Um, the kind of the, the costs are shared. Uh, the states like cooperative federalism because they get the um, some of the costs paid for, okay? So it's sort of like a, you know, next year when you're at college and you're struggling and you, know, you, you can't uh, afford to, you know, go out to, to dinner all the time or whatever. And you're eating ramen all the time and uh, your parents show up and they pay for your dinner. That's that's a good thing. Same thing with the, the federal government of the states. The states love it when the federal government shows up. OK, uh, the presidents have used some different things. You do need to know a couple of these things. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was creative federalism. And uh, this was. Um, Really kind of a, a this is almost the uh, the dual federalism where he pretty much said this is what is how it's going to be. 
And these are the guidelines and states you're going to do them. And the states didn't have much choice. Okay. Uh, Nixon created kind of new federalism and this was revenue sharing. It was a departure from the creative federalism and uh, let's work together. Let's share uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then Reagan is going to take new federalism to a different level and de-evolution, meaning he wants to take power away from the, the central government. He wants to make the central government smaller. That was his goal was to reduce the size of the federal government and turn over some powers to the states and let the states do their thing. So, um, both those were, were forms of new federalism. Okay, the main thing we're concentrating on today is fiscal federalism. And fiscal federalism is just the spending, taxing, providing money uh, in the federal system. So the federal government does this stuff, okay? They spend the money. Where do they spend the money? Who gets the money? All that kind of stuff. That's what we're getting at here, okay? So the federal government will provide something called grants and aid. And if you see that, all it is is money. Okay, all it is is money that the federal government is giving to the states. The states, in turn, give grants and aid to the local governments, to the city of Swanee, to the county of Gwinnett, uh, and things like that. There's two types we have to worry about categorical grants and block grants. Now, categorical grants uh, are the ones the states do not like. Okay, categorical grants that's money that goes to the states, and they have to do certain things with that money or they lose it. Okay, it's sometimes referred to as uh, the grants that have strings attached to it. So here's the money, but you have to spend it this way, okay, or you're going to lose it or we're going to reduce it. So if they don't do something, um, they're going to lose it. And the drinking age is an example of this. So if the states don't have their drinking age set at 21, they stand to lose some of their funding for their roads. Now, Within the strings attached, there's two things you need to understand, crossover sanctions and cross-cutting requirements, okay? Crossover sanctions, that is the drinking age. That is the, the, the <clears throat> drinking age and the highway money. They don't have anything to do with each other, okay? Uh, but here's federal money, and I'm going to use it. If you get this money, you're going to use it for road construction, okay? And I'm going to use you as a state wanting your road money to influence this policy over here, okay? Drinking age and highway construction really don't have anything to do with each other, right? Okay, they don't. Um, but if Georgia decides to drop their drinking age to 20 or 18 or 10 or whatever they want to, the federal government's going to say, uh, until you bring it back up, we're not going to fund your highway program anymore. So that's what a crossover sanction is. OK, and then you've got cross cutting requirements. And this is uh, a condition where a federal grant is extended to all activities supported by federal funds. All right. Uh, the best example is the 1964 Civil Rights Act and its non-discrimination provisions. OK, um, it applied to every single program receiving federal funds. If you discriminated then you were losing those funds, okay? So cross-cutting requirements, here's this law, this policy, the Civil Rights Act. It says you cannot discriminate based on race, sex, religion, that whole thing. And if you are receiving even a dollar from the federal government and you discriminate, you lose it, okay? That's a cross-cutting requirement. Uh, there's two other types of categorical grants. You gotta know project grants and formula grants. 
Project grants are the most common type. Uh, these are awarded based on some kind of application. It's a competitive process. Uh, a good example of this is college professors. If you go to a four-year university in the next year or two, whenever it is you go to college, and you're going to have professors who are researching, okay? Your teachers, when you go to college, they're not just teaching. They don't just teach. They do research. They have to put out books and things like that. They're constantly looking for funding uh, for these things. And so they have to send in applications and uh, they have to get the get the uh, go-ahead because the, the school, the university, doesn't completely fund their research. Okay? It just depends on what they're looking for too. Uh, Gwinnett County uh, wrote up a grant or wrote up an application for a grant uh, for socialized teachers a couple of years ago, U.S. history teachers. Uh, it was something to do with uh, teaching U.S. history through an economics lens or something, incorporating economics into uh, U.S. history or something like like, like that. Um, and they got the grant. And it was a pretty big grant. It was enough to where they had, it was a two-year program, and they had year one and two cohort. And then I was a part of the second group, which was years two and three. And then they had a partial funding for a second year, so our, our third year, excuse me. And we got all kinds of resources, materials, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we got to take trips to D.C. and do some U.S. history and economic stuff there. We got a trip to New York City, fully paid for. Uh, once again, you know, doing U.S. history stuff and uh, economic stuff. We got to go to the, the Birmingham Civil Rights Museum. We went down to Savannah for a night uh, or a day and a night and got to do some economic stuff there and some U.S. history stuff there. It was a really pretty cool program, actually. Um, but it was a federal grant, uh, and you had to apply when it kind of could have gotten denied. Okay. The other type is formula grants. And this is where you have to meet a certain threshold. Okay. Uh, whatever the numbers they're throwing in and there's any number of things we can look at for formula grants. Okay. Um, but you have to meet a certain threshold, a certain level before you qualify. The example is Medicaid. Medicaid is the, uh, the insurance for low incomes and you have to be making under a certain amount. A long time ago, the number was 6000 If you made over $6,000, you didn't qualify for Medicaid. Uh, once you got over that, though, I mean, under that, excuse me, then you qualify for Medicaid. So that's a formula. And once again, it could be anything, okay? Uh, it doesn't have to be that. It, we can, They could say, hey, you know, if you have a certain amount of farmers in your area, then you qualify for this. If you have um, a certain amount of uh, students in your classes, you get this. So there's all kinds of things, okay, that the, the federal government puts these things on. All right. Uh, last few things here. Block grants. Block grants are the ones that states like. So once again, a grant is just money. OK. And block grants allow the states to do kind of what they want to. So categorical grants put some restrictions on states and they have to do what they're told. Block grants, they just get the money and they spend it how they want to. Now, sometimes there might be programs they kind of have to spend it on, but they get to decide how they're going to run the program, how they're going to spend it. OK. So block grant. I don't want you to think it's free money, but it is money that the states have a lot more say-so on than the categorical grant, so they like it. Uh, an example of a block grant is the Welfare Reform Act of 1996. This is a federally funded program, so welfare is still federally funded. The money comes from the federal government, but it goes to the states, and the states are allowed to run it how they want to. And this is why you have varying welfare requirements from around the country, or around the country, okay? Uh, and I, I think I mentioned this in class, most of the classes anyways. Um, I'm from Florida, and a couple of years ago, Florida was talking about uh, making welfare recipients get drug tested. And if they were on drugs, they would you know, be off welfare. The state of Florida could have done that if they wanted to, because it's federal money, and they get to run the program how they want to. There's no federal government. There's no federal agency telling them they have to do this with that money. 
Uh, all right, so you've got underfunded mandates and you've got unfunded mandates. These are pretty simple, okay? A mandate is just basically a directive from the federal government to the states. And it is, whether it's a, a, a program that has to be administered, a policy that has to be done, uh, whatever it might be, you have underfunded and unfunded mandates, okay? An underfunded is going to be partially paid for. So the federal government will give some money for it, but then the states have to pick up the rest of the bill. Okay, and then unfunded mandates. These are mandates that there is no federal money. It is all on the states to get this done, whatever it might be. Okay, No Child Left Behind was an example I gave in class. Americans with Disabilities Act was an example. The retrofitting of the, the buildings uh, for uh, handicap access and things like that. That was unfunded. The states had to pick up the bill. They didn't like it. Okay. Um, okay. Now they do. The Congress did think, hey, that's kind of a you know, a, a jerk move for us uh, to not fund these programs that we're making the states do. So now whenever they pass a bill that requires a program or policy or something like that, that might not get funding, they have to go back and they have to look and they have to analyze it and look at some data and decide, should we fund this? So uh, that's called the, the uh, unfunded mandate reform act. And that was in the midnight or early mid nineties. Okay. All right. Last two things here. I want to go over some advantages for democracy with federalism and some disadvantages for democracy. Okay. There's four of each. This will be the last bit of it. Um, all right. So first off, the advantages. Uh, the first advantage for democracy under federalism is that with the different levels of government, you get more participation. Okay. Uh, I have, unless I was doing something with school and uh, the 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 grant I was telling you about earlier that the, the U.S. history teachers went on, I have never dealt with my congressman, okay, our congressman, Rob, Rob Woodall. Um, he did come out to a school I was at and talk to seniors and some other things. But as far as me calling him up and saying, hey, I have this issue, I have this problem, I've never done that. And I probably never will, okay? Um, he's up in D.C., and he, you know, he has local offices and all that kind of stuff, but I don't feel like I can get a hold of him. I feel like I'd have a better chance of going to talk to my state legislature, whoever that might be. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, because I've never tried. Or to go to uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, school, uh, the mayor or somebody. There's, there's more opportunities for us as individuals and citizens to get access to the government. Okay, that's all this is saying. You know. It's tough to get a hold of the national people. They have a lot going on. Maybe it's easier to get a hold of the state or local people. Secondly, uh, the two levels of government equals more responsive to local demands and less decision-making at the national level. So congressmen up in D.C., yes, they represent us here in Georgia, but they're not here all the time. And do they have a really, truly good pulse uh, idea of what's taking place here in Georgia, what we need? Not always. OK. And so the state legislatures have a better idea because they are closer. They're closer to us so they can make decisions that are uh, better for us. Number three, uh, parties, if they lose strength at the national level, they can gain it back at the state level. So the parties and they're losing power. OK. Uh, but the nation really doesn't. A lot of people don't don't like the parties. Uh, and so they could make efforts if they wanted to, to try and get people back at the state level. And what I mean by that is going back to number one with the different levels of government, okay, um, they could start to try and get people back at the local level, at the state level, 
uh, and then start working on their kind of reputation at the national level. And then lastly, diversity of opinion, uh, different policies in different states. Uh, it's a laboratory, basically, for public policy. And I have told you several times now, uh, and we've talked about the, the whole marijuana thing, how that is against federal law. And Colorado could be shut down at any time. Uh, the other states that do it could be shut down at any time. But what is the federal government doing? Well, they're watching and they're taking a look and they're seeing if Colorado can manage this thing. Can they regulate it? Keep it safe? Can they make money off of it? Which they are. Colorado's making tons of money. Okay. Uh, and so they can decide, you know what? Colorado was able to pull it off. Washington was able to pull it off. Massachusetts or who, who, wherever it is, it's legal was able to pull it off. We can do this at the federal level. Okay. And that goes for any kind of state policies. They can watch and they can see if they work. All right. Lastly, the disadvantages. Uh, there's four of these. Uh, the first one is the different states provide different services to the public. So you have some uh, discrepancies on what you're going to get from state to state. We talked about education uh, the other day, how that varies from state to state. Uh, you can look at the, the low levels in some of the states down here in the South versus some of the other states around the country. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the, the amount of spending. Okay. Uh, some of these Southern states just don't spend a lot of money on education and on their students. Uh, and so it's, you're, if you're from Mississippi, you're going to get probably a worse education than you are if you're from uh, New York or uh, Pennsylvania or, or someplace that, that places a lot of value on education, spends a lot of money. Number two, uh, local and state interests can impede majority support of certain policies. So if this policy is not going to affect or not help Georgia, why should I vote on it? Okay. Uh, and that happens a lot, especially you know, think about some of these states that are really, truly rural, like Wyoming, Montana. Do they really care about any of these things that are going to help the, the states that have a lot of urban areas? Probably not. Okay. So why should they support it? Why should they vote for it? Number three, uh, the numerous levels of government make it difficult to know which government is responsible for what. This one's kind of a stretch a little bit, uh, where some government, you know, who who should I call, basically? Uh, we need a red light out there at Collins Hill Road and, and outside of the school, uh, or a Taylor Road and, and the school. So who do I call to get that done? Do I call the local government? Do I call the state government? Should I call my, my congressman at the federal level? Who should I call? And then lastly, just the, the number of governments. There is the, the, the national government, the one. Then you got the 50 state governments. And then you get really into some big numbers with the number of counties. And within the counties, you have the city governments. Uh, and so, you know, there's several thousand governments in America that we have to, which possibly have to listen to. Okay. All right. So at the end of the day, as long as you understand federalism is the states and the federal government working together and enjoying power over us. You're in good shape there. If you understand that the federal government uses money to twist the arms of the state, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, categorical grants, those are the strings attached. And then the block grants, those are the non-string attached. The states like those. Uh, I think you're in pretty good shape for this stuff. You need to know some of the specifics, um, but for the most part, there it is. If you have questions, please, please, please stop by and ask me, email me. Uh, Find a way to get a hold of me and let's talk about it. If you don't understand anything, uh, if you're listening to this, don't forget that your vocab is due and your mother of all constitution assignments is due uh, Labor Day Monday. So uh, be sure you're getting everything done. 
All right, guys. Hope all is well. Talk to you later.